And last uh, week, uh, in particular last two sections, we dealt with the three major applications of the word clouds. Jesus coming in the clouds. We talked about the cloud of glory, the cloud of his presence. And the cloud as form of judgment. I want to examine a few scriptures today along that line. And then we'll move into some other things in this particular teachings relation to apocalyptic literature and prophetic symbols, the way they are used and applied in the Bible. Like I said before, most of what I'm doing is just to give you keys to understand when you begin to read the word so that you don't seem to see things that should have had fulfillment and then you begin to put them in the future. You read in contents to the application of that which is being spoken about. The prophet says the word, who was he speaking to, when was he said, how can it be applied? We know most of the Old Testament prophecies, they are fulfilled in the New Testament in Christ. Amen? Okay, so um, let's start today. Let's look at the book of Matthew chapter 10. I just want to look at a particular scripture and to start with this evening. Matthew 10. This I personally believe is one scripture that people have not been able to truly interpret. Uh, most people who talk about the coming of Christ and uh, they limit it to a first and a second coming, I always have this major problem of interpreting this scripture that I'm about to read now. Uh, Matthew 10, let's look at verse number 1, and then we'll move to verse 22. But let's start with verse number 1. The Bible says, And when he had called unto him twelve disciples, he gave them power against unclean spirit to cast them out and to heal all manner of sickness and all manner of disease. Alright? So know the first people he's talking with there, the disciples, that he has to give this instruction. Now go to verse number 22. So we know that the opening of this Bible passage has to do with the disciples of Jesus. Okay? So verse 22. The Bible says, And ye shall be hated of all men. Who is he talking to now? His disciples. Okay? You shall be hated of all men for my name's sake. But he that endureth to the end shall be saved. Again, this is something that is a little bit confusing to the body of Christ. And so when you read, He that endureth to the end shall be saved, evangelically we say, Well, he that endureth to the end, when the Antichrist, all those things shall happen, in other words, those who don't fall from faith shall be saved. But that's not exactly what Jesus is saying. Jesus is speaking to these same disciples and saying, in the midst of the persecution that will come your way, he will stay on, right, till the time of the judgment that will come to Jerusalem shall be saved. This being saved is directly connected to the judgment that will come to Jerusalem in AD 70. You find the same thing in Matthew 24. If you look at verse 13 and 14, you're going to see the same thing. So it's not talking about your age in this particular passage. He was talking to the people, his own disciples. Is that all right? Are we there? Okay, verse 23. But when they persecute you, this is the key thing. When they persecute in this city, flee ye into another. For verily I say unto you, you shall not have gone over the cities of Israel the son of man become question uh, the disciples no we, we know who he was talking to am I right he called unto himself the twelve disciples and gave them power so we know he was talking to the twelve disciples then and he says if they persecute you he told them they are going to hate you for my name's sake right but if they persecute you now this will give you a projection. He was speaking to them in relation to the Father. There comes a time when he was going to leave them. That's what the way it is there. So, a period of time comes. And he said, well, if they persecute you, flee to 
this city. If they hit you on this city, go to the other city. In other words, keep hiding yourself. Alright? You wouldn't have gone through all the cities in Israel until I come. In other words, before you finish running through all the cities, I shall have come. Now what Jesus joking? Are the disciples still running here and there now? Uh, somebody wants to speak to me and actually I was uh, I, I was directed. It was a Bible college director or something like that of a very mega ministry. And uh, I was asked to see him for counseling and and then uh, he, he spoke certain things. I was trying to explain one or two things to him about what God is making me see and things like that. He said, no, you are rebellious. No, you are that. So, the person who asked me to go talk with him, and I said, okay, thank you, sir. I left the office. And the person met with me and I said, okay, you go back to him. Because he's highly respected, theologically. I said, you go back to him. And let him explain to you this verse and you come back to me. The person went and he said, what is this scripture talking about? He said, yeah, we are the Israel of God. So we are running here and there. <laughs> and so the person came back to me and said, what have you found? He said, I believe in you. I'm coming to your ministry. That's how the person joined us some years back. Just this verse. God, Jesus wasn't talking to you here. Is that alright? He was talking to 12 disciples he was showing them the condition so you need to understand so how did they come that would be the next thing did they come at all are they still running he said this in 2000 years ago are you still there with me praise the living god the word come here actually is the greek word ekomaya and ekomaya means to come of a person to come from one place to another and use both of persons arriving, you know, somebody arriving at a particular spot, a kumaya. It means to appear, to make one's appearance, to come before the public. Metaphorically speaking, it means to come into being. It means to arise, to come forth. To show itself, to find a place, it means influence, it means to be established, it means to become known. Hallelujah. All of these things is from the word Ekumaya. You shouldn't have gone through the city of Israel till the Son of Man appears, or it's made known, it's revealed. Amen? Hallelujah. So now, I would like us to understand this. Basically, this coming was for the judgment of the faithless Jewish people at that time. So this coming was basically in direct connection to the Roman armies. Are you there with me? He made himself known through the Roman soldiers that came to destroy Jerusalem in AD 70. Now I'm going to give you a scripture that will shock you tonight if you have never read it before. For you to understand that when the Lord said, I am coming, he could use people to come do what he wants to do. It is still him. Okay, talk with me to Jeremiah 25. Jeremiah 25. Let's look at verse uh, number one again, and then we'll move to verse number six. Jeremiah 25. Praise God. Look at what he says. The word that came to Jeremiah concerning all the people of Judah in the forty year of Jehoiakim, the son of Josiah, king of Judah. That was the first year of Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon. Are you there? Okay, go to verse six. God speaking to them and he said, Go not after other gods to serve them. Who is he talking to? The people of Judah, the Jewish people. And to worship them and provoke me not to anger with your works, with the works of your hands. And I will do you no hurt. Yet ye have not hearkened unto me. In other words, I'm saying don't do this. 
You've not hearkened unto me, said the Lord, that ye might provoke me to anger with the works of your hands to turn to your own hearts. Therefore, thus said the Lord of hosts, because ye have not heard my words, behold, I will send. Follow this. And take all the families of the north, said the Lord, and Nebuchadnezzar, the king of Babylon. What's the next thing you see there? My servants. And we bring them against this land and against the inhabitants thereof and against all these nations round about. And we utterly destroy them and make them an astonishment and a hissing and perpetual desolation. Hallelujah. Now when you look at verse 12, the Bible now tells you that God finally have to punish Babylon or Nebuchadnezzar after he has used him. But the point I want to raise is, God said Nebuchadnezzar was what? His servant. Praise God. Amen. You know, last week after I finished speaking with you and I was just entering the house and meditating, the Lord just brought these two scriptures to my mind. First of all, he gave me that mighty 12, I mean mighty 10, which we read. And the next thing he gave me this, my Jeremiah 25. Now, how do you see Nebuchadnezzar? Everybody look at Nebuchadnezzar to be a wicked person. Am I right? No, talk with me. Am I right? Nebuchadnezzar was a wicked man, was a wicked king. But God said, this wicked king is my servant. So who are you now? <laughs> to condemn Nebuchadnezzar. Think about it. God did the same thing to Pharaoh. I don't know if you remember. He said, for this purpose have I raised you. That I might show my glory in you. So you see, we need to understand the mind of God in some of the things that he's doing. Now, I read it because the Lord was making me to understand when you talk about his coming in. The cloud of heavens is already connected to the judgment like we said last week. And sometimes the point is when you use the word heaven, your mind goes that it has to be something which is pure. I got a point. The Lord made me to understand. Now look at it this way. When God spoke to Moses and said, the ground you are standing is holy ground. What makes the ground holy? Because God came in there. It was an ordinary ground, but God came in. The ground became a holy ground. So any vessel that is using is holy before him. So Nebuchadnezzar become who? A servant of God. Because he has a purpose in the hands of God to deal with the house of Judah who provoke him to anger. Are you getting this? So when we say he came, you know, through the Roman soldiers, and you can refer to that as the armies of heaven or the cloud of heaven, you get confused and you say, man, come on, he's talking about heaven. There couldn't be enemies and things like that. No, God can become an enemy to his own people. Amen? So he uses the heaven nations to deal with these people, as well in the Old Testament, and that's exactly what happened to the Jewish people in AD 70 when he used the Roman armies to come and evade them. As that when the Roman armies were coming, they were instruments in his hands. Did you get that? They were. Just like I mentioned sometime in the book of, you know, when you look at Isaiah 45, you begin to hear Cyrus being called the anointed one of God, the shepherd of God. But this man was not a believer in that sense. He was not a, a, a Jewish person. Right? But God said he was my anointed. So whoever God chooses to use becomes the instrument in the hands of God because the anointed one of God become the heavenly cloud of glory of God becomes the servant of God. And clearly speaking here, we'll find that Nebuchadnezzar was a servant of who? Of God. Praise the living God. Did you get that? Okay. So, we find here that we are saying the judgment that came to Israel, like Jesus is saying in Matthew chapter, chapter 10, it was not something in the future. It, it's already fulfilled, and it was fulfilled in AD 70. When he said, you shouldn't have finished running around the cities in Israel. So, it, see, when people talk about the coming of Christ, they limit him to a first and a second coming. If I want to preach on that or talk on that, and to agree that there's a first and a second coming in that sense, then it is in this way. He came as a human being. He was a temple of God, right? Through the virgin birth, 
Now he's coming as a human being through the church. So that's the first and this is second. But not one individual floating from the sky. It's not scriptural. Amen. I could find time to speak on something like great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh. That's God revealing a human body, isn't it? Praise the living God. Anyway, let's live on that. But watch what I'm talking about. We may be able to touch that. But you see, the point is this. You go through your Bible, the Bible tells us he comes as a bridegroom. Is that okay? He comes as a thief. He comes as a judge. I mean, on and on and on. Shades of his coming. So which one is first? Which one is second? That's what people don't understand. Hallelujah. But they will tell me, I mean the final coming. I am talking of the final coming. No problem. You're going to get the final coming. Amen. Okay. Mark chapter 14. Go with me to Mark chapter 14. So, you know, going back to what we're dealing with, if we, Mark chapter 14, we're going to start reading from verse 60. If Jesus... If from the Old Testament we have been able to establish the fact that clouds are symbolic languages and they are symbolically used in the Old Testament to denote the move of God, the coming of God, we also begin to see in the New Testament Jesus using such words as coming in the clouds, coming in judgment, coming in glory, also in relation to the word cloud. Amen? Now, Matthew 14, I mean, Mark 14, are you there? Look at verse 16. And the Bible says, And the high priest stood up in the midst. Now this is judgment. The judgment of Jesus now. Uh, stood up in the midst and asked Jesus saying, Answered thou nothing? What is it with thou, I mean this witnesses against thee? But he held his peace and answered nothing. Again the high priest asked him and said unto him, Are thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? Now I want you to know the word blessed. Right? Are thou the Christ, the son of the blessed? And Jesus said, I am. And he shall see the son of man sitting on the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven. There are two ways I want you to know that. Are you the son of the blessed? He said, I am. Now you're going to be seeing me sitting on the right hand of power. Now one thing you need to understand from those two words, blessed and power, they are the substitutional names that the Jewish people use for Yahweh. Because you know, they believe, that's not take the name of the Lord our God in vain. So, are you the son of the blessed? Is another way of saying, are you the son of God? <laughs> and Jesus said, I am. Are you getting it there? And he now said, you will now see me coming. Is that alright? In the cloud of heaven. But then sitting where? At the right hand of power. That is another substitutional name that the Jews use for God. So when he says sitting at the right hand of power, he's talking of sitting at the right hand of God. Are you the son of God? Yes, I am. Not just that. Very soon you're going to see me coming and sitting at the right hand of God and coming in the clouds. Are you getting that? Praise the Lord. So, if you want to really understand this, when you say, are you the son of God? The expectation was... In the true sense, they mean to say, are you the Messiah that Daniel spoke about? Let's get now to Daniel chapter 7. Daniel chapter 7. So, when he said, I am, what he was really saying is, I am the one that Daniel spoke about. Now, watch it. The, the Jewish people were expecting the Messiah as prophesied by Daniel. So the answer of Jesus was, I am the one Daniel spoke about. Amen. Daniel 7 verse 13. 
I saw in the night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven. Can you get that? And came to the ancients of days, and brought him near before him. There was giving him dominion and glory and the kingdom that all people, nations, and language to serve in his dominion and everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom shall not be destroyed. Amen. So, the moment Jesus answered that question, you can read the rest of the story. They said, what other witness do we need? Do you understand that? He is claiming to be the Messiah. In other words, it's an apostate man. He's a fraudster. <laughs> Hallelujah. So, the language of coming in the clouds of heaven that Jesus was using was not directly connected to the coming of the Messiah. Amen? And so that's what he was explaining to them there in Mark chapter 14. When he said, are you a son of the blessed? He said, yes, I am. And then he made them now to go back to their own thinking when he said, you're going to see the son of man sitting at the right hand of power and coming in the clouds of heaven, which is directly connected to Daniel 7, verse 13 to 14. Hallelujah. But like I said, all of this thing is directly connected to the judgment that was going to come to Jerusalem in AD 70. You need to understand that. You know that what he was saying, because you reject me as the case may be, you're going to see your own doom henceforth. When I come in that dimension, you're going to see what you're looking for. In quote. Okay, let's get down to the book of Revelation. Let's get down to Revelation. I just need to touch a few more things tonight. But I just hope that when you go back reading your Bible, when you come across class of heaven, class of glory, she'll be able to differentiate, she'll be able to understand what God is saying. Amen? Hallelujah. Revelation 1 verse number 7. It said, Behold, he come with clouds, and every eye shall see him, and they also quit pierce him, and all kindreds of the earth shall will because of him, even so. Amen. Okay. Now, first of all, like I said in my early days in in the faith i was made to understand because he left in the cloud is coming in the cloud amen but now in act chapter one he left in a cloud singular he left in a cloud the bible says as they were washing a cloud took him out of their side now here the bible says he's coming what in clouds so how did he get multiplied this is plural he left in a singular cloud Praise the living God. Are you catching this? Right. There's a need for you to see these things when you're reading the Bible. Do, you see, one of the big, biggest problems that we encounter reading the scripture is what we've known before. Preconceived knowledge. They begin to interfere with the revelations of God. So when we read, we read with preconceived mind. We just read information into that thing. Right? Let me give you a simple illustration. In Hebrews 9, I think 26, 27 or so, you read about, as it is appointed unto men, wants to die. After that, the judgment. You stop there. But that is not the scripture. The next thing is, so, Christ was once offered. The statement have not ended. There is a conjunction to it. Are you getting that? It means the death that was appointed unto men, he took. But when you read that verse and say, as it's appointed unto men wants to die, after that judgment, your sermon is finished. No. But when I say so, because that place speaks of the priesthood ministry of Jesus. So it's actually describing the work Jesus did in relation to humanity that was in condemnation. But a preconceived thought will not permit you to go beyond so, I mean, the judgment. You just end with what? The judgment. But the point is, he took the judgment upon himself, which was supposed to be our judgment. In fact, the appointment we had, he took upon himself. Praise God. Alright. Okay. So let's move on now. Um, here he's talking about those who pierce him. Uh... I believe, especially in the book of Revelation, when it comes to the New Testament, I have a way, uh, in my own understanding, of interpreting the book of Revelation. I interpret it from a fulfilled perspective, 
right, are also interpreted from a historical perspective. But I also believe in us, uh, maybe interpreting it from a kingdom perspective. Now when I talk about kingdom perspective, it is on this wise. Christ is yesterday, today, and forever. For instance, most of the letters that were written, were written to a people. They were not actually written to me. Am I right? The book of Ephesians was written to the Ephesian church. I was not in Ephesus. Hmm? But I can claim what is in that place. Good. So, it was a word of yesterday. It's a word of today. And it's still a word of tomorrow. So, the book of Revelation is a fulfilled book. And yet, it is still available. Did you get that? Okay. Now, the next question I'm going to ask is, Okay, how will all I see him now? But first of all, let me read. And we're going to talk about those appearances just a little bit. Turn with me to Psalm 22. Let's look about those appearances. Oh. Praise the Lord. The kingdom perspective that I mentioned has to do with the spiritualization of the book of Revelation. Instead of canalizing it. Or just living it on the historical platform. To mean a fulfilled book. Right? Hallelujah. Look at Matthew 20, I mean Psalm 22. Are you there? Verse 15. Now, the whole of Psalm 22 is the prophetic word about the death of Jesus on the cross. You can start reading from verse 1 if you want. Okay? Now he says, My strength is dried up like a poor shed, and my tongue cleaved to my thumb, my jaws, and thou hast brought me into the dust of head, for dogs have compassed me, the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me, they pierce my hands and my feet. Did you find it there? Psalm 22. You don't find it there? Pardon? Is it there? Okay. They pierce my hands and my feet. That's the point I want, to, want you to know there. The question is, who pierced his hands and his feet? He was referring to his crucifixion on the cross. Am I right? Question, who are the people that really, really crucified Jesus? The Jewish people. Am I right? So now watch. He said, I'm coming in the clouds. And no eye shall see him. Even those that do what? Pierced him. So who are those that pierced him? The Jewish people. Hallelujah. Are you there? The Jewish people are the people that really, really preempt him. So, you need to understand from that perspective, in that, um, if you look at Zechariah 12, you're still going to see the same thing. So, first of all, the fulfilled prophecy on that was the Jewish people saw him coming, those who preempt him now, in AD 70. Is that all right? They saw him. They saw his judgment in AD 70 when he came to them. That's number one. Then, if you want to bring it, and you should bring it to the spiritual platform, because you can't just say the book is finished. If it is fulfilled, then we don't have need of it. But of course, we don't have need of the book. Because the Bible says, Blessed are those who read this book. Did he say so? Good. So it wasn't speaking to just the people that were written to that anyone that reads the book should be blessed. And so, if we have to read it and get blessed, then how do we apply this to ourselves? Of course, you also talk about those who crucified the Lord our flesh in the flesh. Is that alright? Good. That's another. That's the way you pierce them. Then, how is our eyes going to see him. I'll speak more a little bit on that as we go. But the Bible tells me this, for instance. Excuse me. In the book of Acts chapter 9, hmm, when Jesus was speaking to Paul on the road to Damascus, what did he say? Saul, Saul, why persecuted thou me? 
But there was never a time Jesus literally slapped Jesus. I mean, Paul. When he was Saul. Is that alright? Never a time. But all we knew was, he was going about with a letter in his hand to get all these four believers, chain them, put them in prison, kill them. Stephen was killed. He was there watching them, supervising the killing of Stephen. Is that alright? Good. So now, what was the meaning that Jesus was referring to? His church. Hallelujah. So how is he coming for all eyes to see him? All eyes have to see him through the church. Praise the living God. So it's not somebody sleeping and somebody floating, bum, 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 and then somebody dropping from the sky like a balloon and all those pictures you see, they are deceptions. Graphic illustrations have no bearing one beat with scriptures. Amen. If Saul was persecuting the church and Jesus said, that is me, <laughs> then it is out of that me that all eyes can see him. Look at what he spoke to Philip in the book of, you know, John 12. Remember? All right. When a corn of wheat falls to the ground and die, bring forth more fruit, isn't it? Good. So it's manifesting himself or revealing himself through many membered body. And that is how all eyes can see Jesus in that sense. Praise God. So other than them fulfilling the 80, 70, all eyes literally actually saw him because everyone that pierced him, that didn't believe him, that did harm to him in that sense, they all saw the judgment that came to Jerusalem. Today, the only way men can truly see Jesus is you and I. Praise the living God. Amen. Okay, so let's move on just a little bit. We need to finish up with this today and go to something else. Maybe we'll go to Wormwood or whatever. Mighty 24 verse 30. Let's look at that. Mighty 24 verse 30. Same thing. And then shall appear the sign of the Son of Man in heaven, and then shall all the tribes of the earth mourn, and they shall see the Son of Man coming in the clouds of heaven with power and great glory. Now, you remember... We've been able to establish the fact that the earth is not referring to the globe. I don't know if you remember that. When we talk about the earth, we're talking about the Jewish nation. We're talking about the people. Right? Anytime you read the earth, you read in relation to the people that God is talking about. Okay. So when he said the earth are more, it's not talking about everybody in the whole world going to be crying because Jesus is coming. It's not talking about that. This is the same thing as 87 fulfillment in relation to even now. Uh, Revelation 1 verse number 7. Amen. The Son of Man used that is basically a synonym for Jesus Christ. You find that in Daniel 7 like we read before. Alright. So, here we find that Jesus coming in the cloud is aligned with power and glory. You know, such a coming like we said before occurred in AD 70, which was the time when Jesus was prophesied to come to bring judgment against Jerusalem and her temple. That was a morning. That was a cry. In fact, the Bible made us understand that Josephus, when he wrote on the destruction of Jerusalem, he said it was like a plowed field. Josephus was a Jewish historian who witnessed everything that happened in AD 70. You know what a plowed field means? When you plow, you dig out everything. Because the temple was literally dug out. You know, one of the things was they find that it was totally made of gold. So they dug out everything. No stone, according to the prophecy of Mighty 24, no stone was left upon another. They took time to dig out all the stone because they had the imagination that the foundation should have been laid with gold. No stone was left upon another. Because you know the most holy place was all gold plated, actually the ark. So they said, man, there must be gold all around there. Dug up everything. To fulfill the prophecy of Jesus that no stone will be left standing on one another. In fact, if the Jewish people have really believed, they will have been able to avert the judgment that was coming. Hallelujah. And Jesus said, and for 40 years, he was still patient waiting for them before the judgment came. What you must understand that most of these books you read, they were not. In fact, Jesus had died for only about 40 years before some of these books were written. Is that all right? Hallelujah. So there's a need for you to understand that. And I made you to understand something. 
No, Jesus died in AD 30. Okay? And Jerusalem fell in what? AD 70. So you see, he gave them 40 good years to think about what happened. So for that 40 years period, if they have repented, I believe God will have averted the judgment. He died in AD 70, and Jerusalem fell in AD, I mean, he died in AD 30, Jerusalem fell in AD 70. So a period of a whole 40 years was there. And that's where most of those scriptures were written. Peter, Hebrews, you know, they were written within this period. We're talking about long suffering. It was within the 40 years period that was the long suffering of God. That no should perish, but all should come to repentance. That's what Peter said. It was that 40 years period after the death of Jesus in AD 70, I mean AD 30. Amen? Praise the living God. Alright, so let's move on a little bit. Uh, I want to show you one more scripture on this issue of the cloud. Revelation 14. Revelation 14. This is another interesting passage. Another interesting passage. Revelation 14. Let's look at verse 19. And the Bible says, And the angel thrust in his sickle into the earth, and gathered a vine of the earth, and cast it into the great winepress of the wrath of God. Now, sometimes this looks a little bit confusing in terms of interpretation. I'm not going to go to the spiritualization. But to let you know here, it simply refers to the occurrence that took place during Jerusalem judgment again. Those in rebellion to his kingdom. This was, I mean, must come to pass during a time when those who pierce. Remember, it had to do with harvest. There's a wine press. There's a trundle down. Two categories of people. Those who will not believe were kind of judged, and those who believe were kind of glorified or rewarded, if I may use the word. Hallelujah. A time when those who pierced Christ, Jesus were still alive. They saw this. Jesus was killed, like I said before, in the AD 70. You know, and we know a biological, biblical generation is 40 years, like I was trying to explain. Is that okay? Right, we're well, just 40 years, so we know that is why it happened in AD 17. So at that time, we said both a harvest, which is kind of a resurrection of Jesus and the saints, and a crushing of those rebellions against him in his church. All of this, like I keep saying, came to pass in what? In AD 17. So when he throws the sickle, the sickle has to do with the harvest. When feet are ripening for harvest. Is that alright? I want you to understand in relation when the crops are ready the harvest that comes with a sickle to harvest is that okay right so this harvest in contents has to do with basically when it's an angel angel is not just talking of one spirit being jesus himself in terms of the word angel he is the archangel all right when you use the word arch you mean chief Principal, first in rank. Alright? And one of the reasons why you have to understand it from that perspective is that the Bible says Jesus will have the preeminence in everything. It's number one in everything. Is that okay? So if you want to talk of even the angelic world, he is still number one. Good. So the harvest has to do with the judgment. It's not talking about what is going to happen tomorrow. But at the same time, you can apply that. Because like I said, it's Christ of yesterday, today, and forever. Even in the book of uh, in 1 Corinthians 10, the Bible says, This thing happened today for an example unto us. Amen? So if it's an example unto us, it means that life is a warning unto us not to repeat what they repeated. That's what I'm saying, it's yesterday, today, and forever. So you can apply it. It's a fulfilled book, yes, but it can still be fulfilled. Because the same word of God. Hallelujah. Are you, are you following this? Okay. So, uh, that is why uh, when we open up on the issue of the cloud, I made you to understand, with what we have discovered so far, you cannot be thinking that Jesus is coming in a cloud 
is the same thing as coming with clouds and they're coming in the clouds of heaven and coming as whatever. Is that okay? It's not the same thing. So, it can come in the cloud of glory in his house, in the tabernacle. It can also come in form of judgment, still in the cloud, and it can come as the manifestation of his presence. Okay, I would like to read one scripture today. Um... Still referring to that, but I would like you to turn to the book of Second Thessalonians chapter 1. Still referring to Acts chapter number 1. If we all agree and kind of believe that Jesus left in a cloud and he must come in like manner, then he has to come in a cloud. Is that alright? Come on, are we, are we there together? Good. If he left in a cloud, then he must come in a cloud. He can't go in a cloud and come in clouds. Then it's no longer in like manner. But like I said before, it wasn't everybody that saw him when he left. The Bible said the disciples saw him and the address was, ye men of Galilee. So, if he left and only men of Galilee saw him, he cannot come for the whole world to see him and for it to still remain in like manner. And again, that word manner is tropos and not morphic. M-O-R-P-H-E in Greek speaks of a bodily shape. But Morphe describes the characteristics. Is that alright? And what characterized the going away of Christ was that few people saw him who were his disciples. Is that alright? The, the manner was not describing his bodily shape. Because if it was his bodily shape, the word morphe would have been used instead of tropos. But what was used there is the word tropos and not morphe. Amen? Are you following me? So then we have to understand that his going in cloud have nothing to do with his coming with clouds. These are two different appearances of the movement of God. And like we said before, at the Mount of Transfiguration, that same cloud came. I remember when Jesus was to be conceived, the message was, the glory of the Lord shall overshadow. Did you get that? And he said, that thing that shall be in you, and it's coming from the glory. So understand that. It means it was a cloud that overshadowed Mary, and out of that cloud, the seed was deposited. Are you getting that? And so, when he was living, he also entered a cloud with which he came. So, of course, he keeps coming in like manner. When a glory cloud overshadows a person, there is going to be a deposit of the life of God in that individual. Are you getting what I'm talking about? It has nothing to do with this atmosphere. Nothing to do with that. Praise God. Are you see that? Because you see, we can always believe that, or we can see that precisely. Okay, watch this. On the Mount of Transfiguration, the cloud came. What about on the Mount of Sinai, when the law was given? What abode on the mountain? The cloud. Who spoke from the cloud? God. Fine. So we find that the cloud we are describing is a cloud that takes God. In fact, it's a vehicle. Of God's expression. Nothing to do with the atmosphere. Hallelujah. Amen. So the glory of the Lord could be coming around you. And you are looking at the atmosphere. But the cloud of glory could be there. He wants to do something. He wants to visit. He wants to deposit. Because of religious perception. You may be looking at something else. But the man is right where he's supposed to be. Amen. Hallelujah. Are we there in Second Thessalonians? Let me look at verse number 6. I was just meditating on this this afternoon and the Lord dropped this in my heart. I've got to share it with you. 
Look at verse 6. Second Thessalonians chapter 1 verse 6. Seeing it is a righteous thing with God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us. When the Lord Jesus shall be revealed from heaven with his mighty angels. Come with a cloud of glory. <laughs> in flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Which shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. Look at verse 10, the key thing I want tonight. When he shall come, mark the word come. To be what? Glorified in his saints. And to be admired in all them that do what? Believe. Because our testimony among you believe in that day. Did you see anything there? When he shall come. In other words, the destruction, the punishment, the vengeance, all will happen when he shall come. And so when it's coming, what happened? He said it's coming to be what? Glorified in the saints. So the saints are the one that reveals him. Did you get that? Now the word come is the Greek word ekomaya. E-R-C-H-O-M-A-I. Ekomaya. And it means to come of a person, to come from one place to another. Same thing I read before. Both is of a person to appear, to make one appearance, to come before the public. Metaphorically, like I said, to come into being, to arise. Praise the living God. Are you getting that? You know, if you go to the book of Jude, you find the same thing. Jude speaking talks about taking vengeance on them that murmur, that grumble, and things like that. And then, if you look at the book of 1 Corinthians, I think chapter number 6, the Bible says, Why taking your issues before the unbelievers? Right? What did he say? He said, Know ye not that ye shall judge the world? Are you getting that? Praise the living God. Know ye not that ye shall judge the world. Is this therefore a difficulty for you not to judge little matters that concern to brethren? Why are you going to courts to settle issues? And so he's talking about taking vengeance on those that and say it shall be admired in them that do what? That believe. Let me give you an example. How many of you remember the story of Peter healing the lame man by the beautiful gate? Good. The Bible says, and they took knowledge that they had been with Jesus. That's an admiration. They admired what happened to them. They admired what they did. Why? Because Christ was glorified in them. That's what we're talking about. Let me announce something to you tonight. A season is coming. This is what really we mean the manifestation of the sons of God. A time and a season is coming. I believe it. Everything is not finished. God is in progression. That's something we must know. Some of us think, well, no, we're waiting too long. I don't believe that. That is another thing. That No, that is not the truth. You need to understand there are three dimensions to the issue of redemption. Alright? Spiritual and body. We have experienced Passover. That is your belief. You've come into the kingdom. You have experienced Pentecost. That is you manifesting the power and the gift of the Spirit, speaking in tongues, doing signs and wonders. But we must also experience the Feast of Tabernacles. It's not going to be in heaven. It has to be here. When Jesus rose from the grave, it was flesh and bones, not flesh and blood. That is the very body, the glorified body that you and I were supposed to put on. And come to think about it, if you have such a body that have no need of food, you walk upon the face of the earth, don't you think your relations will admire you? Are you getting what I'm talking about? Rain is falling, you are not wet. <laughs> it's not the kind of body of this one we're talking about. Jesus' body was a glorified body. Hallelujah. The Bible refers to what we have now as a tent. 
So we're talking about putting off these tents to receive our tabernacle. 2 Corinthians 6, take time to read that. A tent is a temporary thing. A tabernacle is a permanent thing. Are you still there with me? We're groaning for our tabernacle, not a tent. And that is the kind of body that will reveal the fullness of the coming of Christ. It's going to come through the church. It's going to come through his body. People call it mystical body. There's nothing mystical. It's one body. The body of Christ. I don't believe in defining the church as the mystical body of Christ. There's nothing mystical. He didn't say mystical body. That is theological definition. He simply said, the body of Christ. By one spirit are you baptized into one body. It's one body, not mystical body. And that is a body that men are going to admire. When their body fully come to the place of manifestation. And now he comes in the cloud of glory. Hallelujah. Can I read this again? Look at the next verse. Let me read it. Just read it again. Second Thessalonians 1. Look at it. Sin is a righteous thing. I'm reading verse 6. With God to recompense tribulation to them that trouble you. And to you who are troubled, rest with us when the Lord shall be revealed. Hallelujah. From heaven with what? His mighty angels. It's not just coming alone. It's coming with ten thousands of saints. Read the book of Jude. Enoch prophesied about that. He says it's going to come with ten thousands of saints. And people get confused when he says it's coming with ten thousands of saints. Meaning he's going to be there and people will be following him. That is not the understanding. Go back to the book of Deuteronomy. The Bible said God came with ten thousands of saints in the wilderness. Who was God? Who saw God? Deuteronomy 33. Remember that? God came to Parah, came to Manzana, and he came with thousands of saints. He was referring to the house of Israel in the wilderness. God came with them. But where was God in the midst of the people? Was he standing somewhere there? Was one physical man with beard standing? The only person they could see was Moses. Amen? Come on. Are you getting what I'm talking about? So, in the Old Testament, he came with thousands of saints. In the New Testament, he's also coming with thousands of saints. Which has to do with his church. That's where he revealed himself. Mighty angels. Mighty in relation to Psalm 82. God judged among the mighty. Come on. Is anybody getting that? Verse 8 now says, Flaming fire, taking vengeance on them that know not God. And that obey not the gospel of our Lord Jesus Christ. Who shall be punished with everlasting destruction from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his power. When... Hallelujah. When it shall come. Hallelujah. To be what? Glorified in his saints. That's the key thing. All of those things, judgment, whatever, will never take place until it comes through what? The saints. Now, the church is putting him up there using stethoscope and periscope or whatever to watch out for him. Binoculars look out through the window to see him far away before he appears. No, no, no. He's coming through you and I. Amen. Praise the living God. Brethren, I'm trying to make you see something. When we're talking about the coming of the Lord, it's in shades. The big difference between coming in his saint and coming with the saint and to be glorified in his saint, these are dimensions and different phases of his appearing. Hallelujah. God bless you.